no witnesses, no murder weapon, uh, no blood, no blood, just uh, shit. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another exciting edition of the Murder Scriptura podcast. Uh, today's first uh, cycle of the Northern Book of Judges that we're going to be looking at. Uh, which is the Ehud cycle, or Ehud, uh, but I believe it's pronounced Ehud. First, I want to go over uh, just a few uh, ground rules or a few basic items before I get started. Uh, one, if you don't know what mirror reading is, uh, it is a process of reconstructing what the biblical author was uh, responding to, and a lot of that has to do with mirroring the text uh, or at least some of the text. So if, uh, the, if the Bible says don't do that, then somebody was out there saying that they should do that. And so the Bible is really a response uh, against those type of things. And mirror reading is a way to find out what those things were. So when I say things like uh, Ehud's assassination never happened, I'm referring to the opposing narrative. The biblical narrative is actually uh, ex- uh, speaking against that. If you want to learn more about uh, my methodology of how to mirror read, you can go to my website, which is mirrorreading.com, and you can go to the about page, and there's a link to my method- methodology on there. Furthermore, if you want to see how I mirror read uh, each of these cycles, uh, on each of these podcasts, I'll link to a blog post. And it, on those blog posts, it will break down how I've mirrored these cycles. And it'll show you what text was mirrored, uh, what text uh, they agreed on. So I call those echoes. What were the alternative explanations uh, that the biblical author was giving? And you can see the causal connections. So it's not just not just mirroring text, but how they relate to each other, uh, the causes and causes and effects. So be sure to check that out when you get a chance. Also, I subscribe to the what's called the supplementary hypothesis. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you can check out episode two of my podcast. But in short, it is the belief that uh, most books of the Old Testament were written uh, by one author, more than one author or redactor. So the uh, Northern Book of Judges would be one of the authors of the Book of Judges. Uh, other authors and build on to that one. If you'd like to see uh, exactly what the text of the um, book of Northern Judges is, I base my work on uh, the sources on a website called BibleCriticism.com. So you can go there and you can check that out for yourself if you'd like. And so I'll be, since we don't know the uh, author's name for the book of of Northern Judges, uh, I'm just going to refer to him or her but likely a hem uh, back in those days. I'm going to refer to him as uh, N, since the N is the first letter of Northern in Northern Book of Judges. So when I say N, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to be reading the uh, actual text of the Book of Northern Judges. And again, that's based on the translation from BibleCriticism.com, which is a mixture of the NRSV and the KJV. Uh, and I'll, I'll be translating uh, occasionally a few different words on the fly. 
just so it will bring out uh, some of the, th- the themes that I'm going to be talking about. So with that said, let's get into the Ahud cycle. Uh, the primary concern of the Ahud cycle uh, is forming a strong military force for a unified Israel under Jonathanian leadership uh, by showing that Ehud was a Benjaminite hero. So to expand on that a little bit, uh, so N is really promoting the descendants of Jonathan, and that might seem a little strange at first, but um, according to the Book of, the, of Northern Judges, Jonathan is trying to establish a kingship. It's not until later, until the Davidic, Davidic sources come in and kind of they cut down Saul and Jonathan um, as having not much you know, been not much of a kingship over Israel, whereas that's not really the case in N. Jonathan's uh, kingly line is uh, seems to be active, and so N is promoting that line. So since Jonathan is from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, he N's going to be pr- promoting that tribe, and Ahud seems to have been a known uh, hero or character in Israel, and N is going to be taking that character and switching him from what seems to be uh, the tribe of Ephraim, which was previously kind of the head tribe over Israel, is going to make Ehud from uh, Ephraimite into a Benjaminite. And then another common theme that's uh, throughout the uh, all of the cycles of En is that Yahweh was the God of Israel and that Yahweh is a strong war God. All right, so one of the main components of the Ehud cycle is that uh, Anne is going to be trying to present Ehud as a Benjaminite. Uh, And one of the main ways he does this is by inserting this whole episode of the uh, assassination of King uh, Eglon, Eglon, however you say it, uh, from Moab. And this assassination is—it's the perfect—it's the perfect assassination because there's no evidence of it, and so that's one of the criticisms of the opposing uh, narrative, is that there's no evidence of this assassination ever happening. So now I'm going to read through the text of this cycle, and um, just kind of give my thoughts as I go and show how show how uh, the biblical author was reacting to the opposing narrative. All right, so I'm going to start uh, Judges 3, verse 12. uh, And Yahweh strengthened King Eglon of Moab against Israel. So right off the bat, En is really pushing the idea that Yahweh is uh, Israel's God and that he is a strong war god. Uh, Israel was not weak because of Yahweh. It was because they had left Yahweh and that uh, the Lord was in, uh, strengthening their their enemies. So, and this could also be countering the idea that uh, Yahweh was a Moabite God, which is addressed in uh, a little more directly in the next cycle, I think it is, with uh, uh, Deborah and uh, Barak. In alliance with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, he went and defeated Israel. So again, this is N making excuses on uh, how how Israel was uh, subdued. Uh, it wasn't just the Moabites; it was a combined force of the Ammonites and the Amalekites. So it makes it a little bit more uh, difficult to overcome that. And they took possession of the city of Palms. So this is this is the equivalent to the city of Jericho, uh, and it seems. Uh, 
and and the counter narrative uh, or opposing narrative both seem to agree on this uh, fact that the Moabites had taken that city. But when the Israelites cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh raised up for them a deliverer. So again, pushing the idea that Yahweh is uh, the God of, of Israel. Ahud, son of Gura, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. So it's important to end to really push that uh, Ahud is a Benjaminite since, since uh, uh, Jonathan is a Benjaminite and that is where the kingly line is. And so he's uh, and is trying to promote that tribe of Benjamin uh, so that ben- the tribe of Benjamin can be seen as a tribe that is um, that has the status to rule o- over the other tribes. As we'll see later in, the, in this cycle, uh, Ehud was probably a uh, Ephraimite because Ephraim, uh, Ephraim was the tribe uh, that was over the other tribes initially before it shifted over to Benjamin. Benjamin, uh, and you can see you can see how Ephraim is uh, uh, elevated in the Elois source. Uh, the term a left-handed man that is also associated with the Benjaminites. Uh, later, the uh, I think the Elois source will add how. Benjamin, the Benjaminites were left-handed, and that doesn't necessarily mean they were dominant left-handed. It just meant that they were ambidextrous, and so that that will factor uh, later in this cycle when uh, the assassination takes place. So by saying that uh, Ahud is a left-handed man, he's also saying that he's a Benjaminite. The Israelites sent tribute by him to King Eglon of Moab. So that seems to be another point that both uh, Anne and the opposing narrative agree on. Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he fastened it on his right thigh under his, under his clothes. So this will, this will come into play later when the assassination takes place. Then he presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. Again, this uh, the fact that he's a fat man is going to also play into the assassination and countering the idea that there was no uh, no evidence. When Ehud finished presenting the tribute, he sent the people who carried the tribute on their way, but he himself turned back at the sculptured stones near Gilgal. So uh, there is a city called Gilgal, but there's that's not necessarily uh, what's being referred to here. There were various sites where there were uh, like concentric stones, kind of like Stonehenge, but on smaller scale. Um, So this may have just been referring to one of those sites. And so the opposing narrative was saying, well, he returned uh, with the people that were with him without without assassinating this this king. So there there were no witnesses um, from the people that had gone with him. But in response to this, by saying that, yeah, he respond, he returned to uh, Gilgal, which may have been like a rendezvous point uh, on the way there. So that would have been the last time they would have seen uh, Ahud uh, before returning to their homes. So in response to this, by saying, well, yeah, there was no witnesses because he went back after he returned to uh, Gilgal. So, you know, of course, of course, the people who went with them wouldn't have known. Uh, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So the king said, silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. Uh, so again, this is uh, 
less witnesses. Uh, even the the king's uh, people were sent out of the room so that there be there would be no witnesses, no account uh, of the assassination. Uh, and so this is, this is again this is ends uh, ends response to people saying that there was there were no witnesses, and this is ends uh, explanation for that. Ahud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber and said, I have a message from uh, Elohim for you. So N is making Elohim equivalent with Yahweh here, uh, incorporating both of the terms into uh, the narrative, responding to the idea that Yahweh was not uh, the Elohim of, of Israel, was not the God of Israel. So he rose from, from his seat. Then Ahud reached with his left hand. Again, this is uh, making making the left-handedness critical critical to the assassination, thereby making him being a, a Benjaminite uh, critical to the assassination. Uh, reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into Eglon's be- belly. The hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. Uh, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly. So this is another criticism of the opposing narrative. If there, if if Ahud uh, had assassinated the king, how, where's where's the, where's the murder weapon? What happened to that? Uh, what happened to that sword? Uh, people w- wouldn't just throw that type of thing away. They're gonna uh, keep that and venerate that, and that's gonna be a source of pride for uh, everyone involved. And so the opposing narrative is saying you don't have that. You don't have a murder weapon, so it never happened. And Anna's responding by saying, "Well, there's no murder weapon because uh, it was a, it was a special blade, and he thrust it into uh, the king, who was very fat, and so uh, the, the blade went in, and the fat closed over it, and so he didn't get to to keep his sword, and poop came out. So some trans- translations say dirt, but." Uh, <clears throat> it's really referring to uh, the shit that came out, uh, whether this is uh, he, he, he crapped his pants or uh, but it seems to be more like the, the uh, it came out of out of the wound itself, out of out of, out of where he he thrust the thor- the sword into. And again, this could be uh, it's, it's the perfect uh, it's a perfect assassination because when his guards come in, they don't even know he's been assassinated. There's no, there's no sword. There's no blood. It's just, it just looks like he should him. The king shit himself. Then Ehud uh, went in, went out into the vestibule and closed the doors of the roof chamber on him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came. When they saw that the doors on the roof chamber were locked, they thought he must be relieving himself in in the cool chamber. Yeah, they thought that because it smelled like shit. Uh, because that's what came out when Ehud stabbed him. So they waited until uh, they were embarrassed. When he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. There was their lord lying dead on the floor. Ahud escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the sculptured stones and escaped to uh, Sierra. Sierra? Not sure how to say that. So this caps off the perfect assassination. No witnesses, no murder weapon, uh, no no blood, just... Uh, shit. So this is really ends uh, countering the criticisms against their their there never being an assassination. 
When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Uh, okay, so Ahud is uh, originally thought to be, or the opposing narrative is saying that he was an Ephraimite. And so he, Anna is going to have to explain, well, how, why, how did he get to Ephraim? Or why was the, the, the trumpet blown in Ephraim? And Anna's going to respond just by saying that Ahud traveled there. And the Israelites went down with him from the hill country, having him at their head. So Anna is saying, look, there, here's, here's a Benjaminite, and the Israelites are following him. So it makes sense that Jonathan, being from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, should, should lead Israel as well. He said to them, follow after me, for Yahweh has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So again, and pushing the idea that Yahweh is Israel's God, that Yahweh is a strong war God, um, and even maybe countering the idea that the Moabites were allies, so and explicitly is saying that they were enemies. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and allowed no one to cross over. Okay, so I should explain the geography a little bit. Uh, the king, the king of Moab, is not actually in uh, Moab Central or proper or whatever, however you want to say it. He's uh, that's why the city of Palms is mentioned at the beginning. Uh, that's why he. That's where King Eglon is. That's where Ahud goes to, uh, sort of a, a summer home of sorts uh, for for King Eglon. And so by the Israelites uh, cutting off uh, the Jordan, it allows, allows no one to escape or to provide reinforcements either. At that time, they killed about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. No one escaped. Uh, so this ties into how Yahweh is a strong um, uh, war god. And this ties into kind of the meta-narrative that N is trying to create. His his main goal here is trying to recruit uh, different tribes to sign up to be in the uh, Israelite army so that they would, have, they would have a strong military force. And so this is just uh, one of the cycles where uh, a war hero is portrayed and Israel is a, a strong military force and wins, is able to win, win battles. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. So again, Israel can fight, Israel can win, Israel has a strong war god, so come on out and sign up at your nearest uh, military, military recruiter office so that you too can fight in the army of Israel under the leadership of a Benjaminite. All right, well, that's it for that cycle. Uh, I hope you like it. If you have questions, uh, let me know. You can go to my website, mirreading.com. There's a contact form on there, or you can just uh, tweet at me on Twitter. Uh, it is, uh, my handle is at Mira Scriptura, I think. If you like my work and you like my podcast, please share it. And if you would do so, please also leave a five-star review on iTunes for me. That would be great. And if you want to support me financially, you can uh, go to the support page on my website. Again, mirrorreading.com. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.